How's everybody doing? Thank you guys, thank you guys. Thank you. You notice I turn around and oh my gosh, accoutrements on the wall. Thanks for being here. Uh, a special edition of Uncle Scotchy's Storytelling Extravaganza. I appreciate it. I'm really excited about all the storytellers that came here and especially all my friends, my new friends, especially the ones I made in the last year that came through this thing. I appreciate it. Like I was telling Carly, I started this for selfish reasons to my own thing and I have all these new friends now and they come every week or as much as they can and it's it's really awesome. So I'm really uh, in debt to you guys in a lot of ways and you've heard that through my stories and I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Julio. The great Julio's coming here. He's back tonight. My angel. Thank you. Everyone's like, where's Julio? I'm like, he's busy. He got a job. And But he's here. And uh, a lot of friends are here for the first time. And I appreciate them coming, too. Um, let's get started. Once again, these stories, if you're just here to be here, uh, these stories are true. And they're about somebody. Please uh, just be respectful of the storytellers when they're up. We have nice little breaks in between that you can kind of hang out. But um, And also, actually... Give it up to Ben, ladies and gentlemen, for just having this and accepting this. He's done everything that he's gone out of his way to really make sure that he respected the night. He even lets me go out there on Wednesday nights when nobody's supposed to be out there because uh, it's like a senior thing. He lets me out there. Eric won't fuck anything up. He's too old. So it's fine. But uh, So I'm going to bring one of my favorite people and storytellers up first, ladies and gentlemen. The great, real... Chavaro. Suck that drink down, motherfucker, before you get up here. That's right. That's right. He doesn't look one fucking day older than old. No, I'm kidding. He's so sexy. Um, for the following storytellers, I have a cold. So bring your Lysol, bitch. <laughs> okay, good, good. Hey, guys, how's everybody doing? Fully functional, alive, breathing, living, paying for parking, tolls. Yeah? All right, good. I have a story I, I really haven't told. I've, like, snippet it little bits with different friends because I've been piecing it together. I've been piecing it together for like 30 fucking years. <laughs> I'm not going to make you wait that long to hear the story. I figured it out, okay? But it took that long uh, to make this make sense. There were things that happened to you when you were a kid and uh, they fuck you up, you know? You don't know they fuck you up because you're a kid. Right? They fuck you up, and then you fucking, you know, you file it, you know, in your kid memory bank under fucked up shit that I will never remember again until. Right? So this story is about that. It's about um, how when you're a kid, there are things that happen that maybe shouldn't have happened, or things that had to happen, but you didn't know because you were a kid that they had to happen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm snotty. It's not that I'm crying yet. 
also, I grew up here in Miami. Um, where are my Miami motherfuckers at? I didn't hear one booty bass line, so this is, this is definitely Kendall. Um, I grew up in Miami. My mom's uh, Cuban. My father's Colombian. Yeah. And they both got into this country illegally. <laughs> uh, and then became citizens, whatever the fuck that means now. Right? Well, um, I got to tell you a little bit about my uncle and my dad before I go into this story. So I'm going to take it real quick. I'm going to just surmise the little snippets and vignettes of what I'm talking about. My dad snuck into the country because he was a cook on a merchant marine ship out of Columbia that was docked um, somewhere up north of Florida, Atlanta, or I don't know where the fuck, up there, right? Got drunk one night, and uh, him and his friend, and unbeknownst to him, his friend had packed all their shit, passports, stuff, important shit, into a big plastic bag and thrown it overboard. There's a story on Uncle Scotchy's podcast about that that has all the details, like how he was thrown off of a ship so he didn't murder a man in the morning because he was drunk, because that's what you say when you're drunk and somebody kills your dog. Okay, I said it all. That's how my dad got to this country. Right? He was saved by a friend by being thrown off a ship drunk and having to swim to the shore as the ship fucked off back to Colombia. Yeah, my uncle, my mom's brother, who passed away, stole a small Russian crop duster out of Cuba, being a military motherfucker who helped Fidel come down from the Sierra and fucking take over Batista's empty government. And uh, that's a whole nother thing. Anyway, mom finds dad... I don't know if it was papers or not, but there was love somewhere, right? Because I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Shit happens. Uh, of course, my dad's going to become good friends with his wife's brother, his brother-in-law. They have stories. My dad looked up to my uncle and was like, this guy's a fucking badass. He stole the airplane from Cuba and fucking landed in Homestead, right? So my dad and my uncle become fast friends for those 10 years, so I was 10 years old when this story begins, all right? It's the time in the 80s where there was this new business model called cocaine. <laughs> and my uncle uh, and my dad, <laughs> they meet some people, you know. <laughs> you know, and people to side. And the tipo is like, hey, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to do something. Oye, y después tú con el tipo. ¿Entiendes? And so they do this thing, right? And they start up this garlic business. Those weren't bunny ears, bitch. <laughs> Those were two fingers of cocaine. And... Uh, I'm 10 years old. I'm going to school. I like it. I'm going to tell you the elementary school right now. It was Henry M. Flagler Elementary. Yeah. Yeah, I was one out of 18 Latinos. No, seriously. I, it was the first time I met white people. 
I was 10 years old. I was like, you're kind of like us, but you're not. Anyway. My parents had bought a house when I was nine or eight, and we had really enjoyed that house there in that area. And I remember having fun in the backyard, having friends in the neighborhood and all that. And uh, one night, <laughs> my dad wakes us up. He says, levántese, levántese, mijo, levántese, levántese. Hay un fuego, no tenemos que ir. Un fuego, un fuego. So I'm thinking the house is burning. I'm like nine or ten. And we get up and we get the fuck out and we leave and we go to a hotel. And uh, my dad, like, within a week, I start to put these pieces together later on. You know, as you get older, you, you get more information and people tell you more shit. You know, you're growing up your whole life and they're like, yeah, one day I'll tell you. And you fucking get there and they died last week and you're like, fucking never told me. Anyway, so I'm putting this shit together, right? We stayed in a hotel for a week and then, or something like that. And then we went back to the house and everything was fine. <laughs> I didn't go to school for like a week. It was weird. I failed. You know, I failed whatever the fuck that was, fourth grade or something, third grade. They, they helped me make it up with all these tests and shit and I, I caught up eventually. That doesn't matter. Uh, my dad's garlic business is going really good. I mean, they had told us that it was like, oh, it's gone this way, it's gone that way. And then all of a sudden, his garlic business is doing really good because we're living on Collins Avenue at Portugal Towers in the penthouse. Now I'm no longer at Henry M. Flagler. I'm at fucking Miami Beach Elementary. Wow. For a little poor Latino boy from Huechete and Little Havana, that was very weird. I saw my first Hasidic Jewish people. <laughs> I thought there was something wrong with them. I don't know why, I just didn't understand. I'm in that culture. I meet my first friend that has a Pink Floyd tattoo and he's 11. And the Pink Floyd tattoo is like dots of the letters on his leg that looks like it says Pink Floyd. I meet interesting people there on the beach. Anyway, we uh, move out of the penthouse. I'm 11 now, and we move out of the penthouse uh, abruptly again. We didn't know why, but I lost those friends really fast. I think I was there for third grade or fourth grade, maybe. I think half of fourth grade. I don't know. And uh, I've done a lot of drugs since then, people. I just want you to know that. But this is accurate chronologically. Just fuck the numbers, okay? We have to move to our uncle's house after this penthouse. And my uncle's house is somewhere out in West Miami. And it's like surrounded by nothing but really old, rich Cubans. And we're staying in this house that we don't want to be in. And my mom is uncomfortable. My brother was just born. He's like one or two years old. And... Uh, Everything seemed fine for a minute. I started some new fucking school. I hated it. I got into trouble. I got into fights. And then, uh, guess what happens? Abruptly, in the middle of the night, we all have to fucking leave. Again. Pack it up. Pack it up, kid. Fuck your friends. I just made one. The principal. Right? And... 
all right, man. We moved again a third time within like three years. I was within two years. Um, I'm, I'm around 11, closing in on 12, right? Life goes on, man. We finally got a place, and my dad completely changed businesses, <laughs> business models. Uh, he bought a tow truck. He started a roofing company. He diversified is what they called it. I didn't know what the fuck that meant. I thought that was like, oh, black people, white people, fucking, oh, that's cool. And uh, you grow up, man. You grow up. You go through life, and your fucking parents finally start fessing up. And then um, they tried to kill my uncle, the one who stole the airplane from Cuba, because he was a defected communist back in 1969 and blah, blah, blah. And they tried to kill him twice here in Little Havana. And finally, he moved to Costa Rica. And then he died. But he uh, didn't die before remarrying and having kids. And I met them, and they were my cousins and whatnot, right? Fast forward. <laughs> to after his death, his ex-wife, or his wife, Eugenia, comes to visit us in Miami. And we start drinking. I'm in my 40s, you know. I'm fucking drinking with my step-aunt. Is there a such thing? My aunt, right? And she starts telling me shit that Nelson, my uncle, had told her on his deathbed about shit that had happened, that shit that he had done. My uncle lived a, a full life after his 20s with two bullets still in his body. <laughs> this guy, yeah. And then he trained military people in Costa Rica. And he also dealt cocaine. Anyway, I find this out many years later that um, those three times that we moved abruptly while I was growing up, it's because uh, the Medellin cartel was after my uncle. And that every family that moved in after we had left had man, woman, and child to the last person standing in that house. Uh, been gunned down by the Medellin cartel. And you find that out in your 40s. And you put the pieces together and you sit there. Maybe you're smoking weed like me. And you're like, oh, those motherfuckers. Oh, shit. Man, they could have been. But then you're also like sober and you're like, fucking three families were gunned down because Miami. Thank you guys. Just wanted to give you a cheery story. <laughs> guys, give it up for tonight's sponsor. Breckenridge Bourbon Whiskey. It's not Irish, it's, it's bourbon. It's, I should, I, I, I should say it like this. It's called Breaking Ridge Bourbon Whiskey. Guys, give it up for the birthday boy tonight. The epic Uncle Scotchy, Eric Garcia. You want to change this up? Hey, guys, be good to each other. Give each other orgasms, mentally, physically. I, don't I love you. Hey, give it up for your bartenders and take care of them tonight, goddammit. Give it up for real. Working work through the pain. Working through the pain. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's been one of my favorite storytellers. He's been one of my favorite people. Uh, 
And I'm glad he got to tell a story tonight when I kind of floated it to him. He's like, I'll tell one definitely for your birthday. So thank you again, Rio. Fighting through the ACL tear and all that other shit and the cold. So uh, we're taking a little scotchy break. I'm going to come up and tell one that I've been working on that I'm not really happy with, but we'll see what happens. This is a bit of a birthday story. And um, yeah, it's been... But I got to do it because I can't like push it back a week because it's not my birthday in a week. And how many fucking more do I have left? So Jesus Christ. So <laughs> Too soon? Too soon? Thank you for coming out. This is a really cool crowd with the cool energy. Thank you for <laughs> being here. I'm waiting on a drink, but I think I can survive until I get it. Survive this long. I guess I could do it. Uh, I put this story together kind of super last minute. If it didn't really... It was hard to really put together. And... Um, when you're talking about yourself. It's a little weird. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Are you? I'm clearly in Miami still. Thank you. So, exactly one year ago, uh, I turned 50. Yeah, today. Coincidence. What a coincidence. Thank you. It's the whiskey for sure. Uh, I feel like I overslept. I've been... I realize I've been creeping around this world for half a century. And you know you're old when you start referring to yourself and measuring time like a fucking vampire. Half a century I've been around the world. I was like, oh, Jesus. And it was... <laughs> it was, uh, you always picture your 50th birthday. You see people have their 50th birthdays as you get older, and they have, like, these little parties together. They're kind of sad. They're fun, but they're sad. You see a bunch of 50-year-olds hanging out, some older, some younger. You know, clearly babysitters are involved and all this other shit. But this was kind of, the pandemic was still a thing. And as I've said in other stories, you know, that was it was a really tough time for me. And, um... I and also, by the way, spoiler alert, November 3rd, there was an election the same day. Yeah, I don't know if you know. Yeah, everybody thought the world was going to end. Both sides thought the world was going to end. So nobody gave a fuck. And I, I was like, okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm good alone. I'm going to just do my shit. And I heard about this, uh, I heard about this lobster pizza that they have at... Uh, Jimmy Johnson's down uh, uh, in Isla Mirada. Jimmy Johnson had a place. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to go down there for lunch, grab my little dog, Casey, go down there and have some lobster pizza and chill out. Drove down, uh, did that. Sure enough, the whole place was empty. We had the whole deck to ourselves. Had my lobster pizza, gave her a little bit of lobster. She was confused. <laughs> what the fuck is this? And uh, two Coronas. One shot of Jameson, nice, dipped out, went home. Actually stopped at the dispensary on the way, picked up a little something-something. Went home, and I rented a, a Bronx Tale and got in bed with Casey and watched a Bronx Tale with Casey and smoked some weed. And a Bronx Tale, not only is it one of my favorite movies, but I don't know uh, if you guys know or not, Chaz Palminteri, the guy who plays Sonny in it, who was in, like, every gangster movie after this, 
he wrote that when he was basically an unemployed actor as a one-man show. That was him. That he that was about his life. The little kid, C. Uh, yeah, Colangaro. Uh, that was him, and he wrote about that, and you know, and it inspired me because this whole thing I put together selfishly to work and workshop my shit to do a one-man show that's going to happen sometime early next year. But no, no, no. Yeah, my ass. But I've made all these fucking friends I never would have made before, and these connections. There's people that I've that have come up here, housewives, comics, all kinds of stuff, and I know more about them just from their stories that I never would have. I never would have met or connected with these people. I'm kind of kind of dicky about who I meet and get to know. I really, I really am. I'm like, I didn't think I had anything in common with these people, but I do, and I like them now. And they come through, they either listen or they tell a story once in a while. Hey, Scotchy, can I tell a story? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I trust them to whatever they tell the story. So it was really cool. Um, birthdays have never been really good for me. I've never really had good birthdays. The first birthday I remember was my 10th birthday. Actually, the day before my 10th birthday, I was with my abuelita. And she lived in those apartment complexes that are right by Marlin Stadium that they're rebuilding now. Yeah. And it was the Orange Bowl at the time. And you can see half the field. I used to be on the balcony i could watch half the dolphin games from that and uh we were extremely close my dad was like who is this woman like he raised he she raised him like really hard discipline 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 you know this is in cuba when she was a single mother and his his brother committed suicide things are tough but she adored me i got away with fucking murder with her and she taught me my first word bail I was in the crib, cut a little baby fart, and she's all, pale, and not mom, dad, pale. Oh, my first word. So if you're keeping score at home, my first word in the world was fart in Spanish. So the day before my birthday, I'm there right by that area, and where she's schlepping me around trying to get me a gift for my birthday. We're walking all day. She's sweating. And it's unseasonably hot on November 2nd. <laughs> she buys me, I don't know why it does. She buys me this. <laughs> Which I still have, clearly. I don't sleep with it, but uh, well, I can't throw it away. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this thing? I have this forever. I just, my Walita's fucking present to me. And, um, the next day, so all that walking for that. The next day, I'm at my parents' house and having a party with some family, you know, whatever, small. We're about to eat the ice cream cake, and the phone rings, and she had a heart attack, and she died. My Walita's dead. Yes, hence keeping that shit. And um, I, was, I was crushed, and I was a sensitive kid, and it really, she... I was really tight with her. Like, I spoke, I spoke Spanish with her. I couldn't speak Spanish in the house with my mom and dad because my mom didn't speak really good Spanish. That would be rude. So as far as I was concerned, Spanish was my language of my abuelita. I never spoke to anybody else in Spanish for years. So they would speak to me. And even if I understood them, I was just like English, English. And I, I kind of forgot it. And um, I've been thinking about that. And it's like, how different would I have fucking been if she didn't die, 
if she didn't die on that day, and she lived, I would be like the Spanish-speaking guy that, you know, also, or who knows what I would have been. And it really affected me. There was a lot of undercurrents that people have heard from my stories about death that I've, I've really gotten into. And that kind of set the trend of the whole thing. And so I, um, I started looking like, who am I? And then there's like astrology, okay, which I've always kind of thought, it's kind of like old school Dungeons and Dragons with good PR, you know. <laughs> but they're, they're, I'm realizing there's something to it. But I'm like, so I'm a Scorpio. My father, my sun sign is a Scorpio, and my mother, my moon sign. Apparently, according to the fucking minute I was born, was my moon sign. So, well, kind of, kind of on the nose. I'm supposed to be very close to my parents. But then I realized more, I am the sum of what my parents did. I am the sum of my father was a really good car salesman. Really good car salesman. Very good with people. Great car salesman. My mother, artist, artist, art dealer, uh, represented fiercely local artists and stuff like that. And then as my involvement with music became, you know, I've had a million jobs in my life. And I'm, like, jealous of people that know from the beginning what the fuck they're going to be. And, but then again, they're kind of boring because they knew from the beginning what they were going to be. I just bounced around. I did a million jobs. Then when I finally started putting on shows and booking bands and taking, putting on events, I realized that skill set was given to me, that the skills of negotiation from my father of dealing with people, of people, you know, generally liking me, the Garcia charm, as my father put it. Um, and my mother, the artist, and she understood what the artist liked. And people like, uh, like Eric, fucking Frenchie understands. He knows, he sees me, I take care of the bands, and I make sure that they feel good and they're taken care of. Like, I always, every time I've been a talent buyer for any of the venues that I booked, I booked a million venues over 25 years. And I make sure that the bands are taken care of. I tell the venues, like, don't do this two-drink minimum thing. Don't just make the artist feel comfortable. Shut the fuck up. Thanks. Just for a little bit. Just today. Give me this one. Um, and, 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 and I realized that. And I, I read when I started booking... Somebody handed me the biography of Bill Graham, who's a famous uh, promoter. He owned the, the Fillmore East, Fillmore West. He started the whole thing. He used to do a thing when Janis Joplin was coming up before anybody even knew she was big. He would paint the dressing room that she was in, the, the, the green room. She would paint it a certain shade of pink, her shade of pink, her favorite color, just to make her feel comfortable. And then after the show, he would paint it back just to make her feel good. And artists would play for Bill for cheaper and just because they wanted to play for him because they knew they were going to be taken care of him. My dad did the same thing. He would have had customers. They would buy a Mercedes every year. He worked for LP Evans Mercedes. And they would, buy, they would come back every year and they would buy. And they knew they spent more money for my father. I've said this before, but they knew they were being taken care of. And this is a skill set that I had. And it was kind of, okay, I found my thing. This is what I'm good at. And then the pandemic happens, and then I'm nothing. And then I'm 
I'm a musician that's not working. I'm a booking agent that's not working. I'm nothing. I'm, what am I? What have I been? I've been, I was a boxer. I used to fucking be a sparring partner. I was that. I was a tennis pro. I was that. So what am I? I don't know what the fuck I am anymore. I have no identity. All I know is um, I just lost everything. I have nobody to take care of, which is the, my other skill set, is taking care of people, others. Bad at myself, good at everybody else. Great at everybody else, bad at this. And um, that was difficult for me. And then, so I started the storytelling thing during this time. Somebody recommended that I do a blues opera, which is basically my stories, and this is the one-man show. And now that I think about it, all my best stories are about horrible shit that happened to me that I endured. Exactly. And I don't want that. That I don't want that to be me. I don't want me to be dealing with these all these horrors. I need to be something more. Um and then I started thinking, what the fuck if I just fucking died right now? <laughs> if I die right now, I hope that's not my last noise that I would make. <laughs> but if I die right now, what would I be? What would I be known for? People would come and they'd find this fucking guy that played harmonica and wrote these songs and... There's a bunch of shit. There's basically a, a museum of my folks with my mother's art and my dad's things around in my house. A museum of them. And stacks of songs that were never recorded. And it would be just sad. And just goodwill to clear that out. That would be it. And... I don't want that. And I realized all this time that I've been in this house ever since... My pop died just before the pandemic, and I had nobody to take care of before anymore, and it was really hard for me. I've been dealing with not having to take care of anybody other than my little fucking precious Casey. Um, she well, she got me through it. I mean, seriously. If and one thing I know is if I didn't have her to take care of during that time, no, I was done. I was like, I'm done. I don't have nothing else. And, but I had her. And so, but I realized that there's, there's something else that I, I maybe needed to do, maybe something needed to prove if I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to keep going. Because otherwise, what the fuck? And I got a weird call. Um, where's my fucking phone? I got a text from this woman who bought, I was supposed to set this up. I wrote a note to myself, but I didn't because I'm stupid <laughs> and I'm fucking old as fuck. I'm old, old as I've ever been right now and fucking out of the blue. So this woman, this uh, a young couple bought my father's house. Uh, I didn't get any money from it. It was upside down and a fucking reverse mortgage, but they took over. We exchanged numbers because different things about the house that they wanted to ask. And it's this woman named Janelle. She was awesome. And her husband, she's a real estate agent. He's a, a, a contractor. They have some young kids. They bought this to be their dream house, to, you know, redo it and be their dream house, which is really cool. Hey, what's up, Tony? 
And um, she texts me out of the blue. I haven't heard from her since before the whole pandemic. She says, good morning, Eric. Hope all is well. This is Janelle from your old house. I don't know why, but I keep getting a sense that your mother's energy is around here. And I know she had her art at this address. Is there anywhere I could read more about her life? I know it's weird, but I had a dream about her. And I was curious if you can share about that. I love historical stuff. And I'm like, so I sent her the link of me telling my mother's Alzheimer's story. And she read it. And she was texting me that she was crying during it. She said, I needed this for my soul today. Thank you for sharing. I had to reach out. I felt like I needed to know about her. My grandfather also passed. I said, Alzheimer's in his 50s. I used to also dance as well. My mother was a ballet dancer. Um, uh, I will honor her in this home, and I will play some Ben Harper every now and then for her because she used to play fucking Ben Harper all the time. That's just the thing that I did, yeah. So this guy, fucking Ben Harper, was also the star character of one of the horrible Van Valentine stories that I had. And so then I thought about it. I was like, oh, that's really cool and weird. And I was thinking about that and marinating on it. And then I asked her a couple days later, I was like, what did my mother do in your dream that my mother that you never met that died in 09, you know? I felt a strong emotion during the dream and her popping in and saying that I need to know her story and to find out somehow. I woke up that morning with strong impulse and a heavy heart to start looking her up and Googling. And then I just had the sense to reach out to you, which I thought was exactly what she wanted to do after hearing the story. So weird. So I found out her story by reaching out to you. Um, and she clearly wanted to, to let you know that she was still around. And that was like kind of a really big thing for me. And I started, and I went back and I had a drawer of, of shit. My mother used to write me these just with her horrible handwriting, all these just letters about, yeah, spiritual shit, Raja Yoga, things like that, uh, life passing. And, um, but her main theme was energy. Everything is fucking energy. Good or bad, it's what you do with it. And I realized that these, these stories that I have, these are energy that I can do what I want. When you die, according to her and according to me now, everything is energy. And I can just sit there and I can be a piece of shit and get drunk all the time and feel bad for myself and think about killing myself. Or I can take that fucking energy and I can use that for something. And... um I realized that there's been something I needed to do. I'm 51 now. Never been married, no kids. And I've always had a thing, even when, whether she left or I left or whatever, but I've always had a sense that there's fucking something else that I need to do. There's something else that I fucking need to do. I can't just do this i have there's something else that's going on with me that i need to do and um the thing is what i realized with my folks they were remarkable people very remarkable people and they died super quietly and they just went away and nobody really noticed for reasons that i've told before and i don't want to go quietly into the night I don't want to do it like that. So I'm making this 
I don't, you know, fuck, I got like, what, 10, 15, fucking 18 years, like, uh, yeah, left, they have problem, you know, seriously, of like, of productiveness, you know, I better get the fuck on it. Well, my, oh, really? Really? <laughs> I am an old baby, yes. But I've fucking paid my dues. I have paid my... I've, the last 20 years, I took care of people. Um, even more. And um, I'm not scared anymore. I can't be scared anymore. I have to fucking go forward. And I just have to trust life. I have to trust my flow. I have to just, just fucking do the work. And know that somehow I'm going to make the, my mark in this world one way or the other. And I appreciate you guys listening to me and then helping me find my way to find my mark for the rest of my life. So thank you very much for listening to my story. Thank you, everybody. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks again for being here tonight. Uh, this woman told an awesome story a long time ago. I've been trying to get her back. Uh, and Travis told a great story, too. That I'm looking forward to your next one. I'm going to get that out of you one day or another. Yes. But this is, uh, I wanted her at my uh, all-star storytelling to tell a story, but she's increasingly busy because she's increasingly awesome. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Polly McPollerson, ladies and gentlemen. Tell this awesome story. Happy birthday. Thank you, baby. I love you. Yes, everybody, please keep clapping for this man. He is the best. What a crazy thing, right? You could just come here in a place in Miami and just tell a story, huh? Really good. My name is Polly, everybody. How's it going? Oh, yeah. Hold on. I'm doing the comedian thing where we took the mic, uh, the mic stand away. <laughs> I can't do jokes because I'm telling stories tonight. <laughs> I, I promised myself that I was going to be, like my husband said, a, pu a purist. And be pure about the story thing, okay? So there's a comedian fighting against telling jokes. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you really quickly. Uh, just before we get into everything, I have a really uh, interesting story about my life. But I'm a voiceover actress. And my job is to speak in that Telemundo actra, like accent that nobody speaks. You know, like, <laughs> Rayos, Manuel. <laughs> Um, contesta el móvil que te estoy llamando mientras me como un emparedado. <laughs> Some bullshit. Steve, aléjate de la barbacoa que te vas a incinerar el pene. <laughs> Just some... 
that, that's what I do for a living. And so that's why he said, increasingly busy. It's just because I'm always fucking in the studio and I got to get up early. But I want to be here every night. <laughs> um, and mostly I do people's voicemails. See, I'm doing jokes. I'm not doing that. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, but yeah, I do people's voicemails. <laughs> and because um, I'm bilingual, I speak Spanish and English. And so, like, they trust me and I'm a fucking prankster. So they're like, do this, uh, please, will you do my commercial? Like, no, do my voicemail for my company. And I'll be like, sure, sure. I wish commercial. <laughs> We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> um, so I'll be like, I send them the thing, and it's like, thank you for calling Florida Landscaping. For English, press one. Para Español, go back to your country. <laughs> and that's the kind of shit that I do. So I, that's who I am. I'm a jokester and a prankster. And here is the story that I'm here to tell you. No, fuck that. Before that, I just want to tell you the story about, no, no. I want to tell you the story about this month. Uh, or this, like, Babe, how long ago? Like a couple months. Okay. And I think the girls here that have ridden in Ubers are going to feel me a little bit. Because we're doing a lot of Ubers lately. But mm. this one was like, I mean, I had just gotten in a fight with my husband. So I was feeling pretty, f like, fucking <sighs> rebellious. And, like, <laughs> I wanted to go out and have fun. And I had a comedy show. And so I called an Uber, and I got in the Uber, and I was really, like, looking good. I had a lot of cleavage out, and I was fucking feeling great about this night. Um, thanks. And, you know, normally I get in an Uber, and I expect the Uber driver to want me. <laughs> As a normal person does, right? If you don't always expect people to want you, I don't know what to tell you. You should. So I'm there, and I'm like, okay, this guy's going to look at me and desire me. It's fine, whatever. I didn't expect, like, okay, so normally they do the, like, like the rearview mirror. They look like staring at your thighs, you know, and you're just like, you know, like on your phone and covering. <laughs> and then he's like, you know, normally they're just like, hey. Tu vas a salir sin, sin tu novio. You know, they always go like, are you going out without your boyfriend? And, you know, you're just like, I don't have a boyfriend. No, I'm just kidding. You're just like, no. <laughs> um, but this guy was different. And this guy was staring at my legs in a different way. And then he goes, tu tienes pintura en tu muslo. And that means, like, well, I had paint on my thigh. Because I remembered that I had been painting my apartment that day. And I had a little bit of fucking paint. So I was like, ah, I was like, gracia, Ay, que tonta, you know? And I'm like, just like scrubbing the paint off. And he goes, no, déjame a mí. And he grabs like a fucking tissue. Yeah, yeah. And he like starts fucking rubbing my leg. Yeah. I know you guys are like so offended. I kind of enjoyed it for a second before I figured out he was a creep. That wasn't the part that made me think he was a creep. Oh. That's normal human behavior. Don't be weird, people. <laughs> Men grab legs. Like, what you guys like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, so yeah, so I was like, 
gracias. No, no, no. And so he's like rubbing my leg. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Ya, ya salió, ya salió la manta. Like, it's fine, it's gone. <laughs> and then he, um, yeah, no, no, no. He's like, okay, okay. And then he goes, should I say this in Spanish or in English? Should I say it how it happened? Spanish, right? He goes, una pregunta. ¿De qué color son tus pezones? Yeah. My Uber driver. One question. What color are your nipples? At this moment, I have a choice. And I don't know, because I'm like, all right, this, this is the moment. See, that the leg wasn't the creepy. This was the creepy. <laughs> I was like, all right, fuck. And also, I want to tell him that they're pink. Because that would be dope. <laughs> Maybe he just thought of me as blonde and perfect and pink. And like, no, they're just, you know, whatever, girls, we know. Our, our nips. So I, this is the point that I just grabbed my fucking iPhone. And I was like, I'm recording this shit. You know? Like, this is, this is happening. So I was like, ¿Por qué te importa? And that means, why do you care? And then he goes, no, porque tú estás rico. But that's the point. So like, yeah. He goes into the fucking speech. This isn't, the story is not about the fucking sexual abuse. Was that sexual abuse? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that what we're thinking in 2021? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. I mean, there's a bar for me what I think is sexual abuse. Like, kids raped by, like, priests. And then, like, a girl getting a little molested in an Uber. You guys, come on. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I love you guys. You're very supportive. I will count on you. So I get to the comp. No, I fucking, I'm nice to him. I'm like, I told him my nipples were fucking caramel, whatever the fuck. color. <laughs> because, yo, I need to get to the comedy show. I don't want this guy to, like, leave me somewhere, you know, in Miami Shores. And, and so, whatever. I get to the place. And I felt like you guys feel, like that shit was really bad, you know? And I had it on tape, but I got there and I felt pretty chill. Like I wasn't that affected. Yeah. No, yeah, like I was like, and then immediately I was like, okay, shit, I have a really good like immune system for this shit, right? Like. In an era of pandemics, you think your immune system is fighting shit off. My body knew how to fight off a pervert so good because I was in a great mood at the comedy show. You know what I mean? No, that is great. And then my girl, and she's here, and that is what's crazy because this happened and I never spoke about it to anybody except I got to the comedy show. I saw my girl, Carly, who's here all the way from Key Largo. Hardest working comedian I know. This girl drives from Key Largo every day into this city to perform comedy. So please give it up for Carly in the audience. She's sick. I think she's right there. Is that? No, she is. So I go, Carly. And she's like a millennial. She's younger. I'm old as fuck. So I go, I think I may have been molested in the Uber. And she goes, what happened? And I told her, I was like, the guy like touched my leg and then he asked me what color my nipples were, you know, and like just kept like, uh. and she goes, oh, you need to report him. 
Because what if he does this to somebody else that's not strong like you? You know, he could do this to a younger girl. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's such a fucking good point, you know? <laughs> Shit. In the back of my mind, I was like, no, that's not going to happen to any other girl. It was my fucking beauty that seduced this guy. <laughs> this guy's never going to see anything like this <laughs> ever again in his life. And he's not a threat to society because I'm not society. So <laughs> this is the fucking... There's a chance, I used to be bulimic like in high school and I had no self-esteem. Girls, like there's a like you can recover. I'm on the other side of self-esteem now. <laughs> Just side note. <laughs> all right, am I going over time? Oh yeah, guys, all really nice. I didn't even tell you the real story. Fuck, okay, okay, okay. How long have I been on? Guys, can somebody give me a... No, be honest. Bibi, uh, Travis, come on, give me that. All right, God bless. All right, keep going. So, no, I'm just gonna tell you. No, so she goes, report it. Fuck, so I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, that could totally happen to any other girl. And you know, as I told you, I was like, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it would not. Um, <laughs> and I get home, I do my comedy show, it's amazing. I think I talked about it on stage. I think I said, I think I got molested. And I said the immune system thing, and it wasn't funny to anybody. Uh, nobody laughed. I said, I think I have a really good sex abuse immune system. And I thought it was funny and nobody thought it was funny. And I just, I was dude, like figuring out why I didn't give a fuck that this guy touched my leg and asked me what color my nipples were. Because a lot of women seem to be affected by this shit hard. And I'm not taking that away. It's fine. It's fine. Just to me, like the dick doesn't have any power. Like it, not, it does. It does. Obviously when it's on top of you and giving you pleasure. <laughs> But when it's not, like when it's driving a car, <laughs> it's not gonna hurt me. It gets hard and he strokes, like um, I could look the other way. It, do it does not fucking hurt me. Doesn't matter. So I get home and I'm like, <clears throat> he's sleeping. Travis, poor man married to a stand-up comedian. So he sleeps and I wake him up at two in the morning and I'm always like, let's get chicken wings. You know, when I get back from a comedy show. But this night I was like, baby, something happened. And then he's like, what happened? And I was like, let's get chicken wings. <laughs> I don't think I told him that night. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to, but I don't remember me telling him that night. No, I waited. Mm-hmm. Like a week. <laughs> and then, yeah, because I was like, oh, God, he's going to get pissed and, like, want to file charges and, like, be American about it. <laughs> uh, no, so, yeah, so um, he called Uber, and Uber was calling, you know, Travis, hi, you filed a report. We'd love to speak to the victim. The victim. He touched my leg and asked me what color my nipples were. See, I'm minimizing it. I am the worst person. Should I be on stage right now, Uncle Skotchki? Like, am I bringing women back 400 years? All right. No. So, yeah. No, Eric, thank you very much. You guys, no.
basically what is happening right now with that story is they're still calling me and I still haven't like actually talked to the Uber representative. So it's an ongoing story. So you'll have to be here for season two, Eric's next birthday. <laughs> you guys have been great. Uh, my name's Polly. Uh, I could tell you a quick other story, but if I'm out of time, I can go the fuck home. Yeah, that was long, right? I mean, the story ends with, like, the guy, like, I still haven't talked to the Uber guy. Yeah, that's the end. All right, thank you guys very much. My name's Polly. All right. You want to go, like, quick uncle story, uh, quick quick uh, role-playing story? Do you want to, like, do that really quick? Yeah, the one that you told. You promised me. Don't be a liar. Yeah, I want it. The role play one. Yeah. The role playing one with my husband? The sexy one? All right, quickly. All right, this is a special birthday request. All right, follow me on this. Uh, who's been like having sex with the same guy for a long time? <laughs> Freddie. <laughs> um, so shit's coming up a lot lately in my marriage and he's very cool he's cool with me to talk about it um, but we've been getting into role playing right you guys know what that is yeah doctor role play um, and this is the story about how more complicated women are than men when it comes to role playing. <laughs> Travis had his own week and I said, what would you like for me to role play, sir? And he said, I would like for you to be a cheerleader. And that was easy, you Amazon Prime fucking costume, you know, extra large, because they're Asian sizes, not because I'm fat. <laughs> so, you know, you get the fucking costume, you do the fucking thing. My week rolls around and this is, what really happened. He goes, baby, it's your week. What would you like for me to be for you? What is your fantasy? <laughs> and he did that like 90s, I don't know, back <laughs> music video thing, no. Um, and I said, well, it's not gonna be a day, Travis. Like, it's not gonna be like just 45 minutes and we're gonna do it. Like, it needs to be a while. Like, I need to believe that you are this guy for a while. Because if not, I'm not gonna like fuck you and like actually get super, super wet like it's the first time. You have to act really fucking strange to me and, we, and like different. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, well then go get a notebook. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's directions. Oh. And he goes, all right, cool. Like, I'm ready. And I'm like, all right. I want you to be this, cl this close friend of my dad's. <laughs> I swear to God. And he's like, you mean like your uncle? <laughs> and I'm like, N no, no, but I can call you Uncle Kevin. Like, that's fine. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, fuck. And I'm like, okay, but you can't fuck me right away. Like, this can't be a situation where you, know, you walk in and you're like, hi, Pedro, I'm here to stay in your house. Where's your daughter? Let me go ravage her. You know, no. 
It needed to be where he like wasn't attracted to me and he was just staying at my parents' house and I was there and he was gonna slowly find me attractive. And that was my goal. I didn't wanna be hot at first. Like I wore my Jurassic Park pajamas on the first day. Yeah, I was super, super unattractive. Um, and I was like, the first day you don't fucking touch me. Don't fucking touch, we're gonna watch a movie. You're just gonna be my uncle. No, not my uncle my dad's friend, <laughs> and then, you know, we're gonna build that shit up, and he killed it. I wanna say he killed it. Like, we'll, we'll applaud for him later. At the end, at the end, he killed it. Yeah, like, second, I was like, second day, second day, that's the day that we're gonna maybe, like, pick a movie, we're gonna probably decide on The Matrix or something that where we could, like, both agree on age-wise. <laughs> for both our generations, because you're, you know, 58 or 68. Who am I kidding? I'm 38, yeah. Um, and he was, he killed, he was like, okay, okay. All right, we'll do it. And then we did that, you know, and I was like, all right, dude, like third day during the afternoon, I'm gonna go make you coffee. I'm gonna be making cafecito, like just stirring that shit. And then I want you to come back from behind and tell me you don't want that much sugar. And then... <laughs> and then I want to feel your erection. <laughs> yeah, you thought this shit wasn't going to get exciting. It fucking finally did. <laughs> I just imagined the erection. It was really good. It was a good... Uh, <laughs> And then, so I want to feel your erection, at which point I will turn around <laughs> in this fashion. Oh my God, I am making a fool out of myself, aren't I? Am I really telling you guys this fucking story? <laughs> it's over, it's over, it's almost over. Wait, there's an ending to this, correct? What was the ending? Oh yeah, no, yeah. Well, I was telling him the whole thing, you know, but this is, it did happen. But when I'm telling him the fucking, and I was like, when I turn around after the cafecito, that's where you will attempt to finger me in the kitchen. <laughs> and, and you may, and you may. And I was like, and at that point is when I will decide if we are ready to go through with it, you know? And, and, and then I think I'm fucking easy and 38 and horny and desperate. So I fuck, that was the moment. That was the moment. But the, when I was telling him the story and I was telling him to write the shit down, his only question, he had the whole fucking operation down on paper. And the only question he had as a man was like, what do I wear for that? <laughs> and that's when I was like, okay, dudes are so simple. I could have just been like, wear Dockers. <laughs> Happy birthday, Eric. I love you. Give her Polly. And Uncle fucking. Uncle fucking Polly, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up. Thanks to all my storytellers that came out, ladies and gentlemen. Andrew. My friends that came out tonight, you guys hanging out tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really honored to have this uh, last storyteller up here last night, uh, right now. 
He's a real staple of Miami, and you guys are going to be honored to listen to his stories. And um, I'm just so to have just, just everybody, between Pauly and everybody that have just come up and just, like, done this, and they've been so happy and, for some reason or another, honored to tell a story at my night. It's really been really cool for me. So I'm just going to stop rambling on. And uh, Freddie, come on up. Do your thing, buddy, with you. The great Freddie Stebbins, ladies and gentlemen. The guy's a legend. Get up for him. Oh, man, thanks, Eric. Give it up for Eric. It's his birthday. Oh. It's funny. Eric said uh, that, he's, that you know, he's old and I'm old. And uh, I just want to tell you something my grandfather used to tell me. Maybe you guys have heard this. When you're young, he say... You're good looking. When you get to be old, they say, yeah, yeah, you're looking good. You're looking good, man. <laughs> you're also good looking, but that's besides the point. Anyways, uh, thanks for having me, man, on your birthday. We'll give it up for all the speakers tonight. Rio, Polly. So... Like some of you guys know, I'll tell you a little bit. Of, I'm a little bit nervous because, like, I'm a comedian, and uh, this I'm not supposed to be funny. I have to be real. <laughs> and um, uh, I'll tell you about myself. Uh, I'm from Miami. Um, I was born and raised here. I come from like an old Miami family, um, and I'm also a. Uh, I grew up very close to here, about nine minutes away, behind Allen's Drugstore, which used to exist. Does, any, does anyone know it? Does anyone? Yeah, you're right, exactly, right? right. And uh, I grew up there when it wasn't, like, near Gables. I grew up there when it was called near Westchester. And, you know. Anyways, um, and I'm also a, I'm a comedian, but I'm also a professor at Miami-Dade College, 15 years. Yeah. All right. That, that, that's why I'm poor. And, uh, and I'm also an amateur Miami historian. And, and when I was asked... Uh, to be a part of this huge show, I got nervous because, like, he was like, tell a story, like a real story. And we all have stories, by the way, right? Everyone has a fucking great story. <laughs> really? Yeah. The best stories I ever heard are, are like, yeah. real, like fucking real, you know? Yeah. And so I'm going to tell you um, this uh, story, and this happened, and, uh, yeah. So um, this story... Uh, it's a two-part story, and it's about uh, an event, two events that happened within one week. And I'm going to date myself. Uh, in the last week of August, in 1982. Yes, I know. I was 13 years old. I know you're doing the math. And... and and, and, and before I tell you this two-part story, uh, uh, what is it about? It's about, uh, it touches on four things. The first thing it touches on is my dad, who I love. And we all love our parents. And luckily, my dad's still with us. And uh, the second thing it touches on is, have any of you met a fa famous fucking person? And sometimes when you meet a famous person, they can let you down. They can be a fucking asshole, Right? Or they could be awesome. The third thing this touches on is the city of Miami um, 
in the early 80s, and something happened to me personally that reflected that. And number four, which is stupid, has to do with this word, Javi Verde. And, and I, I'm a gringo from Miami. I'm an honorary sauecero, Javi Verde. And I say Javi Verde all the time because when I, when I was young, all my f- f- neighbors were Cuban. I grew up with Cubans, right? And the old man next to me, Mr. Vieira, he was 92 years old. He could only say three things. That's what I got. He could say, hello, let me tell you something. <laughs> and he says something bad English. And he was like, wait, 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 Javi Verde. I don't know. He could say it for every, like, whatever it was. So that's what this is about. Okay, so um, here's the two-part story. So it goes like this. So in, um, in, in, in August of 1982, I was 13 years old, and I was at Allen's Drugstore with my dad. Yeah. And Allen's Drugstore is on the corner of, it's not there anymore, on Bird Road, Bird Road, and Red Road, Okay. And back then in the early 80s, that wasn't a bougie area. The Gables was bougie, but we were on the non-bougie side. You know, we were in the middle class, you know, two-bedroom houses, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my dad worked at Delta Airlines. And he wasn't a pilot, bitches. My mom was half Colombian and half French, and we never learned Spanish. And my dad uh, was the guy on the ramp. Those are guys that throw the bags, you know, on the plane, right? That's what he did, right? And he always smelt like, you know, jet fuel exhaust. And he got promoted to baggage service. And if you, I don't know if you know what that is. Baggage service is that guy when you lose your fucking luggage, when you go on a plane and you land and you're... The fucking luggage doesn't show up. Who's the guy you talk to? My dad. And so my dad, you, to be that guy is hard. You have to have a great personality. And, and it's very difficult. And he would tell me, by the way, there's no discrimination at Delta. We lose everyone's luggage equally. <laughs> but my point being, and it gets this story, he knows how to deal with people. So this is what happened. In, the, in August of... Uh, 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 1982, I was 13 years old. It was two weeks away from my birthday, and we were about to go on a trip with my dad on Delta Airlines because we could fly for free. And we'd have to wear a suit and a tie, and we'd get bumped 14 times, and you'd have to be in Atlanta for 14 days. But, but my dad took me on a trip. But before we did, we went to Allen's Drugstore, and at the counter at Allen's Drugstore at 3 p.m. on a Friday, I'll never forget it, was a football player. You guys have heard of Dan Marino, but this was before Dan Marino. It was a guy named Bob Greasy. Do you know, do any of you know who Bob Greasy was? Let me tell you something. He was a Miami Dolphin, the quarterback, Hall of Fame, undefeated season, fucking Bob Greasy, right? And I never met a famous president. I was like, oh my God, is, is that Bob Greasy? It does like, I think it's Bob Greasy. And so I, Bob Greasy turned around and he left. And as he walked out, I, I had the balls to like, <clears throat> I was 13. And by the way, when I was 13, I weighed 71 pounds. I mean, I was wet, 71 pounds. And I said to him, are you Bob Greasy? I'm a big dolphin. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he walked away. No, he was, a, he was an asshole. 
right? And it, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, it fucking crushed me. I mean, I, I had Bob Greasy jersey. I had the fucking things. And so my dad saw it. And the, and the moral of his story is angels and demons, my dad. And my dad said something fantastic. He knew I was crushed, and he said, I know, I know, I saw what happened. He's like, let me tell you something. Bob Greasy puts his pants on one leg at a time, like everyone else. But, <laughs> but number two, Freddie, when you meet a famous person, sometimes they're famous, and they could be friendly, or they could be a dick, but sometimes they're loved. And if you meet a famous person, he said, and they're loved, they will never do what fucking Bob Greasy did to you. And I, that's what he said. I, I, I was like, Dad, I was like, shut the fuck up, you don't know anything. And, but he said no. And I said to him, and I quote, I said, well, what about Muhammad Ali? Because that was the big, and he was like, he didn't know what to say. He was like, well, Muhammad, is Muhammad Ali loved? And I was like, yeah. He's like, if you ever met Muhammad, this has to do with my story. If you ever met Muhammad Ali one-on-one, I promise you, Freddie, he would do something to acknowledge you and make you feel good. Not like dickhead Bob Greasy. That's what he said. And I was like, oh, that's it being a dad. So here we go. Part one of the story. The next day... We flew, me and my dad flew to Arizona. We went to Grand Canyon and we hiked it, blah, blah. And then we took Delta. We flew back and went to Atlanta Airport. And we're about to go back to Miami, but we're stuck in Atlanta Airport. And it's, it's a Friday in 1982 at the Atlanta Hartsfield motherfucking airport. And <laughs> gate A. And back then, there were 10,000 people? I, I don't know, like... There was, I had never in my life seen so many people. I'm from Miami, I I haven't seen, there was Calle Ocho, but this was even bigger than Calle Ocho. And it was the middle of the day, and we had been bumped, meaning we couldn't get on the standby flights four times. And it was 6 p.m., and we were in the Atlanta airport, Section A, with all the people, thousands of people, all these motherfucking people. And my dad was stressed, and he's like, hold on to the bags. By the way, we had four giant duffel bags. I felt, I, with tents, motherfucking robes, coolers, all of this shit. And I felt, I felt like, I felt like, you know, um, the Grinch, you know, the little dog in the Grinch that carries all the shit? That was me. And he said, stay here in the middle of these thousands of people. And yeah, I'm a, he said, I'm going to go get a beer. Because my dad likes it. He likes it. I was like, all right. So he goes to get a beer. And I was scared. So I'm sitting on these fucking duffel bags, all this shit. And there's thousands of people. Ding, ding. White phone. Please pick up the white cursing. All these fucking people. thousands of people. And, all, and as I'm like sitting there, there's this little girl, a little black girl. She was about two and a half years old, and she had lost her dad. And she was in a pink chiffon dress. She was about this big. She was scared to death, and I went up to her, and she started crying. <laughs> I mean, she was crying. You know that fear you, know, you have when you're lost, you're a little kid? And I was like, I, I was like, I have to console her. No one 
fucking cared about her. No one. She lost her dad, right? So I'm there, a thousand people, people, blah, blah, my dad's are there, people bumping into me. I'm sitting on, and I'm concerned. She's crying. She was about this. She was so tiny. She was wearing a pink saffron dress with a bow. She was so dressed up. She's crying, screaming, daddy, daddy, daddy. So I was like, oh, my God. So I'm consoling her and this and that, blah, blah, blah. She's holding my I picked her up. And then all of a sudden, this is great. Sorry. <laughs> For me, it's great. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get emotional with this shit. <laughs> Remember what my dad said to me a week ago about if you ever met Muhammad Ali? What he would say, that was a week before. That was a week before. So I'm fucking standing in Atlanta Hartsfield Airport at 6 p.m., gate A. And back then, gate A was where the luggage came in, which means there was the ticket counter, the shoe shiners. Have you ever been to Atlanta? These old black guys that shine shoes and stuff like that. Kind of racist, but they were all there. There must have been 10,000 people, people fucking everywhere, scream, blah, blah, blah. And I'm consoling this crying. She's crying. She's her, she literally got crying so much, the water from her tears, like, got my white shirt wet. I'll never forget. She was, ah, she was crying. She was scared to death. There's people everywhere. And then all of a sudden, I, lo- I hear this cacophony. Cacophony means a really loud fucking jumbled noise. And... In about 50 yards away, have you, any of you ever been around someone that's famous? And I don't mean fucking Kardashian famous. I mean, no, 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 dude. I mean motherfucking President of the United States, Princess Diana, the Queen of England, like that fucking famous. Has anyone? It's very rare. It's only happened to me that, not that day. Well, when you do, they're not normal, dude. (laughs) They have like a posse of like 20 people around them, but it's not that. It's the crowd around them. Photographers, police, people screaming. It was, no, I'm not making this shit. It was un- Fucking believable. It was 30 yards away, and you saw a mob. Choo-choo, fucking flashes going, choo-choo, choo-choo. People screaming. The old black guys, the, the shoe shiners, they were like seven. They were standing on their shoe shine shares. I'm not lying. The fucking guys that were shining their shoes, they're like, fuck you. They got, they, I'm not lying. They got on their fucking chairs, and they were like, that's the champ. That's the motherfucking champ. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then cops started running in. This one cop kicked with his foot, kicked someone at the beginning because he was, and this fucking mob came over. And I didn't know what was going on. And the mob was moving towards me. And as the mob moved towards me, I mean 200 people mob. I don't mean 10 people. I mean like 200 Yes, that, I mean, like, it wasn't his posse. It was the people taking pictures. Oh, my God, who the fuck? People were jumping. Dude, I swear to God, I'll never forget. I was scared. And when the mob started getting close to me, the people, the crunch of people, it's like a wave. You've been in a, like, a, like in a rave or something where there's so many fucking people, you start fucking, you can't. And I'm holding on to this little girl. She's crying. And my dad's fucking getting drunk at the bar. And I'm, and I'm, 
And I'm 13 years old, and I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I stood, and I held her, and I stood on the on the suit on the on the on the duffel bags. And I looked, and in the middle of the mob, moving towards me, was Muhammad Ali. This wasn't. No, you guys. This wasn't the Muhammad Ali you guys knew. Okay. You know, the older Muhammad Ali that had a Parkinson's disease. This was, yeah, man. This was 1982. He had just fought his last fight against Trevor Burbick, and he lost. Six foot three, handsome, still sharp, dressed in a tan suit. (laughs) Taylor, I'll never forget. I'd never seen a tan suit. Muhammad Ali, you know, the guy from all the videos. By the way, in 1978, do you know who the most famous person in the world was? Muhammad Ali. Time Magazine, Life Magazine, they took a poll worldwide. The most famous fucking person in the world four years earlier, before internet, was Muhammad Ali in Africa, in Europe, in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, in South America. There has never been a non-politician well, besides Beyonce, that was his famous, here he comes. He's like this. Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Guess who I'm holding? (laughs) I didn't know. And here comes Muhammad, and he saw me. Well, he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at his daughter who, by the way, is a famous heavyweight fighter. And I didn't, I didn't know what to fucking do. And she's crying and screaming, and she's screaming, and the people are pushing me, and Muhammad in the whole crowd, and he's yelling at me. I thought he was yelling at me. He wasn't yelling at me. He was scared of people. So he fucking, here comes Muhammad Ali, and the, someone knocks me over with the daughter. Oh, my God. And we fall, and Muhammad Ali fucking pulls back the crowd and he reaches and he looks at me but he looks at his daughter and he grabs his daughter he was huge by the way Muhammad he was like 6'3 he was fucking beautiful he was he was hot <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I knew I was gay at about 13 when I saw Muhammad Ali with happy birthday anyways and he picks up he fucking swoops down with his giant arm huge I'll never forget it there was a reporter next to me and a photographer. He's like, don't elbow him. And he fucking grabs his, his daughter out of my arms. And, and, and then he, he did this like, he didn't pay attention to me. He was like, he had to keep walking. And I was like, oh, here it goes again. The richest person. My dad told me Muhammad Ali, you know. But he was busy and I was going to excuse him because it's fucking Muhammad Ali. And he stopped. He's, he stopped. And, and there were like hundreds of people around him. And he looked, he had, a, he had this baby girl. And people were asking him questions. I swear to God, people were pushing me. And he looked, he, as he picked up his girl, he was about to, he took a step. And he looked back at me. And I looked face to face with Muhammad Ali. And yeah. And I didn't know what to say. So I said, 
you're the champ. I didn't, that's what I said. And he looked at me, and he was like, that's right. I'm the champ. Thank you, buddy. And he fucking reached his hand down, and he shook my little tiny hand. And by the way, his hand was like a fucking giant catcher's mitt. It was so soft. And he shook my hand, and he winked, and he said, that's right, buddy. I'm the champ. And he thanked me, and he winked at me, and he kept going. So let me tell you something. If Bob Greasy can't say hi to me, fuck you. Muhammad Ali can. It's great, sir. I have one more, is that all right? So I, I, I had to tell you that it's emotional. That wasn't the story I was gonna tell, but isn't that great though? So great, my dad was right. He was the angel there. He said people that are loved, by the way, I, I give tours of A Street. Celia Cruz, who, uh, the queen of salsa, she lived in New York, but she loved Miami. And she would walk down this street and she would go up to fans and was like that. Loved. Well, anyways, I got home. It was my birthday, August 28th. And the next day I got up and I went to school because school started uh, right after that. And then the next day, uh, my brothers and I were playing a game called Kill the Man. Yeah, it's very Miami. Kill the Man was where you threw a rock in the air and whoever catches the rock, you have to tackle them. We were poor, bitches. We were poor. <laughs> And a truck moved into the house next to us. The house next to us was owned by an old cracker widow that died, and it had been empty for a year. And a bus moved in, a truck moved in, and suddenly, within one day, an entire family in a two-bedroom two house of 13 Cuban-Americans that had just come on what's called a Mariel boat lift had moved in to that house. And they didn't speak any English, and we didn't know what was going on. This is the demon part of my dad. These people were super nice, blah, 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 super cool. There were 13 people in the house next to us. The house was attached. But one thing I didn't know was that they introduced me and all of Miami to something that we gringos had never seen in Miami before called Santeria. Do you know what Santeria is? Santeria is a, is a blend of uh, Afro-mysticism mysticism and Catholic saint worship that some Cubans and Haitians and Caribbean people did. They were a Santero family. The next day, uh, a week later on Sunday, at 6 p.m., and every Sunday at 6 p.m. for four years, this happened. They covered the windows. Approximately 100 cars showed up and parked on our lawn and down the street. Mercedes, uh, uh, you know, fucking Jaguars. And at least 200 people squeezed in this house. All of a sudden, every Sunday at 6 p.m. And then this started. Abuela le lo weo, abuela le lo weo, abuela vela, hi, 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 
wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh. Um, this is not an exaggeration. They were performing something called a Santeria ritual in their house. And every Sunday at sunset, they would perform. What I didn't know is this family was a, like a Santero holy family from the Guajiro, the old regions of Cuba. And one of them was what they call a priest. And so every Sunday night, they would have hundreds of people over in our tiny neighborhood, in our tiny house, which was eight feet from our house. And they would have these ceremonies. The One of the men that lived there was clearly homosexual. And he was about 18 years old. And he looked really bad. And, and before the ceremony, he would go in the in the in the garage, and he would scream, ah, ay, ay, papi, bli, ay, ay. It was like sadistic. Like, he was being wit. Like, I didn't know. All right, so fast forward. This went on every Sunday for years. Every Sunday. I invited my friends over to see it. I invited relatives over to see it. One night, they killed a chicken in the window, and they squeezed the blood out of it. My... And my mom saw it from her window, and she, ay, Santa Barbara de los Maricones, it was incredible. <laughs> One day, my, my brothers and I were playing basketball in the backyard, and there was a baby lamb. Cute lamb. We named him Angel. And we petted Angel all week long. But the next day, when I got home on Monday morning, Angel was there. He was in a black plastic glad bag with his legs sticking out on the corner of our house. And so this got worse and worse and worse. They would take chickens and kill them and throw them on the roof of the house, and they would die. And my dad, my dad, he was like, what the fuck is going on? God damn it. I'm calling the health department. All this shit never worked. He got so frustrated. We got to sell this house. Finally, four years later, they picked up, and they moved. And no one knew why they moved. Well, do you want to know why they moved? Because, as my dad told me seven years ago, you guys, he was a little drunk. He drinks a lot. I want to tell you the real story of why they moved. I was like, Dad, what, why did they, they move? We're glad they moved. He's like, well, you know how I like to go fishing? I was like, yeah. Well, one day, me and your Uncle George, we were really fucked up, and we went out to off of Bill Elliot's Key, and we caught the, caught the biggest motherfucking barracuda that's ever been seen. It was about five feet long, 67 pounds, and we were going to throw it back, but I told George, I got a plan for this fucking barracuda. He evidently came home that night, and in old Miami houses, there's an underspace. There's an underspace. And he ripped out the thing, and he took the 72-pound barracuda under their house while they're having the survey. And he complained. He was nice. We were so nice. We'd been for years, but they wouldn't. And he took the barracuda, and he did it like this. He's like, and I took the barracuda, and I did this. Whoosh. And he threw it underneath their floor in the middle of their house and closed it. Well, three days later, <laughs> the fucking smell was outrageous. And instead of getting rid of them, what did they think? Can you guess what they would think? They thought, hey, a curse for Malegua. Uh, this is a, the, the demons are telling us to leave. They had a big ceremony. They packed up their shit and moved the fuck out. 
because of that barracuda. <laughs> and yeah, and that's the angel and my dad. Is that great? It's, by the way, so to end this, thank you for humoring me here. Uh, this all happened in two weeks in my childhood in the year 1982. But the, but the happy birthday thing is the end. So when it was all over, by the way, my mom was so fed up, good Catholic. She's like, we're selling this house. I don't care if they fucking move. We're moving. And we sold the house. And the week before we moved out, I went to my neighbor, Mr. Vieira. And I told him, oh, Mr. Vieira, you know, we're moving. Oh, wait, wait, let me tell you something. You're beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Nice to meet you. And he said, he said to me, Freddie, I love you, but always remember something. Happy birthday. Thank you, Uncle Scotchy. True story. Sorry I elaborated, but it's true. Give it up for Uncle Scotchy. The great Freddie Sevens, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for him. Thanks for everybody that's been here tonight. I'm drunk as fuck, so thanks for everybody that's been here. Uh, oh, you. Do I know you? Do I know you, motherfucker? Do I know you? Let's go, motherfucker. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm as old as I've ever been, but I'm fucking soaked. And oh, shit. Oh, not this song. The great Evie. Thank you, everybody. I hope to be breathing a lot longer. Thank you. Thanks, Bar Nancy. Thanks, everybody that's been here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm not a jolly good fellow at all. At all. I'm not jolly. I'm not jolly. Seriously, I love you guys. Um, thanks. Let's do one more shot and uh, figure out what happened the next day. I love you guys. Thanks so much. Everybody's got stories.